welcome to the Nurse Surgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, Jake P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. Great. Today on the Neurosurgery Podcast, we are joined by Enrico Tessitore. Enrico is in Geneva, Switzerland. This is one of our uh, special episodes dedicated to the coronavirus crisis, the pandemic. Uh, Enrico, welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot, Mike. It's a pleasure to be with you tonight. And you're in Geneva right now, right? I, I'm in Geneva, uh, and um, it's 7 p.m. local time here, and I uh, just came back from the hospital. And I would say that it's very, unfortunately, very unique and, and special what you are living now. Yeah, Enrico, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Remember, most of our listeners are neurosurgeons or people who want to be neurosurgeons or work around neurosurgeons. Tell us a little about who you are. Thank, thanks for allowing me to introduce myself. So I'm I'm, I'm neurosurgeon and uh, I'm originally from Italy and south of Italy. Uh, I've been trained in Naples and then I moved in Switzerland, Geneva in 2001. Uh, is where I did all my career and then I'm working in the Geneva University Hospital since then. I'm a deputy chairman and responsible for a spinal unit um, and also director of cancer center at the same hospital. Uh, my practice is only spinal surgery, uh, even though I would say that's a bit changed quite a lot in the last few days. Um, and I will explain you why. Yeah, tell us about what's going on in Geneva, Switzerland now. So unfortunately, uh, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic in Switzerland is, uh, is a very, very big issue. And uh, we had the first case on the February 2000, uh, sorry, fe- February 25th. Uh, it was actually in, in uh, Italia part of Switzerland, Ticino, which uh, is just uh, across the borders with north of Italy. And uh, since then, uh, we did have an explosion of, uh, of cases. Nowadays, at noon today, we are around 8,800 8, cases uh, in Switzerland for a population of uh, uh, 8 uh, uh, million, 8 million and a half. Um, there are several states which are more affected than others. Uh, Geneva State is uh, the second most affected one. Um, Lausanne, Lausanne State is the most one. And now Ticino, the, the Italian part, is, seems to be stable. Um, so we were exposed to our first case um, in, in Switzerland, uh, I mean in Geneva, only a few uh, days ago, uh, I would say around two weeks. And since then, the numbers are really dramatically increasing um, with a scenario which is not really promising. If you look at the curves, we are not that far from what's going on in, in Italy and Spain. Um, so, of course, this led us to in hospital. This is the only main public hospital to adapt our work and our 
the wall hospital to this situation. Um, we as, a new, as surgeons, in particular neurosurgeons, we are not really on the front line, of course. But nevertheless, uh, we are impacted by that in terms, of, uh, in terms of our activity and numbers. Of course, every elective surgery has been cancelled since this week. And we are only treating emergency cases, of course. Uh, we do also have recommendations from the uh, government uh, concerning the emergency cases because uh, we are allowed to treat life-threatening cases and we had to list conditions which are not uh, suitable for surgery or to be postponed longer than three months. Uh, so all of us surgeons we did a list of these uh, scenarios and procedures and cases and conditions. Um, and this is what we are now. Now, that's very interesting. Um, some of those same questions about which cases to postpone and which cases uh, should proceed without delay have also been a, a topic of debate and discussion here in America. Um, is that list of cases that should proceed, is that at your institution or is that for your entire nation? Is that a, is that a federal or national level mandate? That's actually uh, recommended and required by the government. But as you know, Switzerland is split in, in states. And so they, uh, they have an autonomy uh, on this topic. And so the state of Geneva uh, asked us to provide this list. And would you say that list is fairly standard, what you would expect? Is there, is there anything on there that might surprise um, any listening surgeon, either something that's on the list as an emergent case or something that was excluded? Or is it pretty standard stuff as you would expect? Is it, I would say it's a pretty standard. Um, the priority, of course, is given to, to emergency cases of life-threatening conditions. There is a big discussion concerning cancer patients and uh, I'm, I'm very into this uh, discussion being the, the head of cancer center in Geneva hospital uh, because we still do give priority to 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 cancer patients right now uh, but um, I won't be surprised that even those patients will be not the priority patients in next few weeks Wow, and and is that is that including cases such as a biopsy to guide medical treatment or resection only, or, or any cancer involved surgeries? So this is a sort of uh, I would say most of the cases semi semi urgent or semi elective cases, of course. And uh, these procedures nowadays, uh, the goal of our hospital, our hospital direction, is to get the hospital empty for accommodating COVID patients. It means right. that some of these surgeries are delocated and postponed to some uh, other clinics and hospitals around. It means that now Geneva is only a big hospital in terms of beds and procedures. And there is a board, which we are part of, determining where the procedure should be done. And uh, nowadays, 80% of the procedure are supposed to be done outside our hospitals, apart from very urgent cases. Uh, 
So we do have an agreement now with some other small clinics, private clinics and private hospitals to accommodate our patients and our surgeons, me, myself, uh, we are uh, moving to operate on, on in other places. So I did today, for example, an uh, uh, emergency disc, um, lumbar disc in, in a private clinic, which is in front of the hospital um, because the patient is not uh, a priority for our hospital nowadays. And our unit is also disappearing in terms that we um, must list the cases that they need absolutely to stay in our hospital, in our unit. And we are keeping only a few beds for these patients. And the rest of them, are try, we try to treat them according to the emergency list in other places. So our hospital, just to give you an idea, is a, a, a quite big hospital, uh, at least in Europe. It has around 1,800 beds. And uh, nowadays, today, we do have around 400 patients COVID positive and uh, around 50 suspected cases. Um, and they would like to reach the 700 COVID capacity by the end of this week. Wow. And uh, of course, in, we need to, to interact with our colleagues, not only internal doctors, but uh, surgeons as well, to get our units empty and reduce them at maximum. Uh, so that's a discussion we'll have tomorrow in our department, in the neuroscience department, and we plan to keep around 10 beds only for the neurological and neurosurgical emergencies. That's all. Wow. Enrico, is someone coordinating this, like the government, or do you guys just agree as departments to work collegially? I mean, how... You know, the U.S. is such a big country, it's getting hard to get a sense of what is going to happen. And we're not really getting accurate direction at the national level. Are you guys getting direction from from the Swiss government uh, stipulating you should or shouldn't do this or give you guidelines or give you authority maybe to do that? The, the, the government, Swiss government provided guidelines and the guidelines uh, are the following. I mean, only patient with a life threatening threatening. Uh, condition or patient who have conditions which may impact their functional outcome, they cannot be postponed up to three months. They are only the only patients that can be treated in the hospital. Um, that's why, for example, coming back to my specialty, so to the spine surgery, we needed to define which cases can probably wait more than three months, which one needs to be done in the three months limit, and which one, occur, which one of course, are emergency procedures, like the DISC I did today. Now, uh, have, you yet, have you yet had to take a patient to surgery who was either a rule-out suspected COVID case or even had, had a positive result for COVID? Have you had to take someone to the operating room who is who was either suspected or confirmed to have the virus? Me personally, not. Not in our unit yet. But I heard that in the last two days, uh, one or two COVID-positive patients have been operating in, in, in our general OR, but not for a neurosurgical procedure. Do you and, happen uh, to know how they handled that in the operating room in terms of isolation 
and room turnover? Or do you have procedures in, in place? Should you have to take a COVID patient to your operating room? Honestly, I'm not aware about that. Um, I don't know if they were confirmed COVID positive or suspected, and then they realized they were positive. So I cannot detail any more, uh, more than this. Um, but of course, of course, we uh, wait for more and more of these cases, um, even though we try to isolate them in dedicated units. Right. We um, last week here at at Rush, where I'm a resident, we had to take a patient to the operating room for a fairly urgent wound revision. Uh, he's a gentleman. He had a CSF leak, and he fortunately turned out to have a negative test result. But at the time, it was still pending, and so we we found ourselves in a situation where we had to take a suspected COVID patient to the operating room, and there was really no procedure yet in place or no protocol for how to you know fully isolate the room, how to turn the room over and make sure it was safe for subsequent use. And I know between our administration and our operating room um, administration and, and the nursing staff there, they had a fairly standard uh, or at least a fairly effective sterilization protocol um, that they came up with. But I'm just I'm always curious if other institutions are facing this problem, what they're coming up with to do about it or or what plans they may have in store uh, I, I'm, I'm sure that they are developing this protocol because probably the first case was yesterday or 40 hours ago um, but I'm not aware about this protocol uh, but I, I know that there is a, a board uh, done by OR staffs anesthesiologists uh, and some surgeons as well who are developing the, this protocol. I mean, because I, I did you manage then um, for the specific cases in your place? Did you sterilize, isolate the room or what? Well, well so we made sure that that patient was the last case of the day okay. um, in that room. So they did, uh, I think they called it a, a terminal um, turnover in the room, a terminal sterilization. Um you know, he wore an N95 mask going in and out of the room. Um, all staff wore N95 masks in addition to their typical um, surgical attire. Um, and getting him in and out of the room, they followed the rest of the hospital procedures for moving these patients, which was, which was having the patient gowned and masked as he went through the halls. Um, and I, I think after that, they followed a, a standard sterilization procedure for the room, as well as a full uh, circulation of, of the air, and, and they operated under negative pressure in the room. Um, interestingly, we've also been going through issues like this using CT scanners or MRIs um, with any patient that's a suspected case, you know, putting them at the end of the day or dedicating one scanner to them. Have, have you had problems like that with imaging for these patients? Sorry, say again, I didn't hear you very well, John. I said, have you had similar problems getting imaging on these patients where they have to turn over scanners or sterilize rooms? Um, again, every elective imaging has been canceled in yeah. our hospital. And um, they, they went through scan. For example, um, today we did operate on a dorsal uh, epidural compression from a metastasis in a suspected cases. So uh, we did not have yet the results. Uh, but the, the patient went through the MRI 
there is no specific now sterilization uh, program for that. Unfortunately, but I'm very happy to have you both at the, on the other side of the ocean to see also how's going on with the protection measures for uh, employee employees of the hospital in terms of doctors and nurses. Uh, I, are you wearing masks? Which are the recommendations from uh, in your sites? Uh, yeah, so I, I can speak to the rush side of things in Chicago. We're, we're following all recommendations from the CDC here in America. Um, going in and out of rooms, uh, even suspected cases. I don't think we've yet in my department interacted with a positive COVID patient, um, but we've had either on our own service or been, or been consulted on a number of suspected patients. And until their uh, test comes back negative, we have the full attire every time you go in and out of the room, mask, face shield, gown, gloves, and um there's a fairly involved procedure uh, that the CDC recommends for, you know, entering and exiting the room and all the steps to, to take the equipment off and the washing in between each step. Um, we luckily at Rush have not had, had any shortages of the PPE yet, um, but we're all taking great pains to conserve as much as we can, uh, both through, you know, rapidly ruling out patients, limiting the amount of people that go into each room, and as you said, limiting the number of people in the hospital um, who might require PPE for any number of conditions, like a C. diff patient or a VRE patient, taking up the limited quantity of PPE we have for these COVID cases. Um, have you faced any shortages there at your institution? I mean, we are faced with, uh, with same, to the same problems in terms of uh, uh, FP2 availability, and there are very few, of course, in Europe as well. Um, and so nowadays, I mean, we are only uh, allowed or recommended to wear a mask, a surgical mask, if you are, we do approach patients which are probably uh, suspected. Uh, but I know that, of course, anesthesiologists, ENT, uh, surgeons, and patients, uh, uh, sorry, doctors doing bronchoscopies or some invasive um, procedure around the nose, uh, they are uh, equipped with a PFFP2. Uh, but the rest of doctors and nurses, they are only equipped with a surgical mask. Yeah, they recently, similarly, they recently relaxed our recommendations here. If, you know, if you're intubating a patient or if you're directly involved with the respiratory yes, yes. system, as you say, yes. then they still recommend the full mask. Otherwise, I think they're allowing us to, to just wear surgical masks now. Um, I'm interested to hear, since you're kind of ahead of us here in the States on, on the curve and the whole process as this pandemic is unfolding, I'm interested to hear how gradually or swiftly you and your institution got to where you are today in terms of these protocols you have in place, not just in terms of which cases can go, but, um, you know, keeping people in the hospital, excluding cases to other sites. Did this all come about piece by piece as you gradually responded to this unfolding crisis or fairly early in the process? Did you have a, a full meeting and, and kind of with, with foresight, think about each of these different aspects to reorganizing yourself in response to, to this virus? 
John, honestly, um, we di we did need to react very quickly because, uh, as I mentioned, the first case in Switzerland was 2050. It was not in our canton, in our state. Uh, and if I'm not wrong, in Geneva, the first case was around the beginning of March. And um, so this was very quick. Honestly, numbers are increasing very quickly. Nowadays, we do have around a thousand patients. Uh, today was 1,200 patients positive in the state of Geneva. Um, and so we had to really react very quickly um, in terms to adapt uh our hospitals to this situation and um, we already talked about the elective surgeries and the uh, and, and uh, opening of covid dedicated units but uh, it's also very important to talk about the uh, the rest of employees and most of them they have been put in smart work the idea of the hospital is to have as less um, as possible person and people and employees into the hospitals. It means that all the administrative, or most of them, they have been put in, in smart work. Uh, um, and, um, and also visiting people at the hospital is not possible anymore. Um, so it means that there is very tight restrictions to uh, visits. And, and so the idea is to empty as much as possible the hospitals uh, and to keep only COVID cases and the, uh, the employees who are necessary to treat them. Uh, the, rest, the rest are sent home and if they are not indispensable or mandatory to stay there, they are recommended to stay at home. Sure. On the outpatient side, how are you handling clinics? Are you doing any virtual visits um, for maybe post-op wound checks? Um, or are you, are you, I imagine, based on everything you've said, your, your clinics are fairly empty as well? We were highly recommended to stop every outpatient clinic, which is not urgent mm -hmm. or absolutely necessary. And what I'm doing since last week is, uh, uh, is a, a virtual clinic. Uh, in terms that I do have access to medical reports, I do phone patients. Ideally, I can also see them if um, if they are equipped with a webcam, and we are doing that. But I would say that we are we are doing of course around around twenty percent of our patient cleans now. Very interesting. We're we're moving in a similar direction here again, just to limit the person to person contact. Um, Another issue that has often been raised both in, in my hospital and Dr. Wang and I have discussed it previously is reallocation of personnel within the hospital. Has there yes. been any discussion or, or any need um, raised by your administration to pull um, any of your staff to cover intensive care units, even to do triage in, in, in the emergency department setting? Y yes, this is the case in our hospital concerning our unit. Because, of course, the drastic, dramatic reduction of activity, elective activity, uh, we did split the team in two halves uh, in order not to stay at the same time at the hospital and during the staff. So I'm in charge of this week. Carl Schaller was in charge of the last week. And then again, next week, I stay at home doing, doing my, my smart work. 
uh, if if possible. And um, we also uh, were asked to provide a list of doctors, junior doctors, residents, chief residents, or young staff who can uh, can be ideally allocated uh, somewhere else in the hospital. They asked us to mention their competencies, uh, our skills towards this uh, disease. And, and uh, so we do have every week a list, of, a list of doctors that can be ideally allocated somewhere else in the hospital. But I would say that we are not the first one they call to, you know what I mean? <laughs> they, right. they, 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 they call more, uh, I would say, neurologists or internal doctors, rheumatologists to, to go to the intensive. But for example, to, to stay to our, to our team, um, six of our residents have been um, uh, sent to a full intensive uh, ICU uh, tr short training if they need to help down at least for a neuro reanima reanimation, a neuro ICU. Uh, so they are supposed to move down at ICU to take care of neuro intensive care to help people there. Um, so we do work now uh, in, in two teams. Uh, and then we are prone to reallocate some of our resources elsewhere. Right. Well, in, you know, to respect your time, kind of in summary here, do you have any personal reflections on the past month uh, there at your institution? Either, you know, what, what the experience has been like for you, for your family, um, anything that you think may have been handled differently that could benefit us who are, you know, about a month behind you through this whole process? Just any reflections on the last month? Um, honestly, we we already we you know we only mentioned the restriction limitation. Our life have changed in, in our in our hospital, but of course the same or even worse has has occurred in our private life and uh, in our daily life. Um, so, uh, as you probably know, uh, Switzerland didn't move to a. Uh, um, confinement of people at home like uh, France, Italy. Uh, the government relies on the civic sense of uh, Swiss people uh, to stay at home and to keep this social distance. And so the, the, the main recommendation I do have is uh, tr to honestly reduce at max people into the hospital, try to accommodate, allocate those COVID patients in, in, in very dedicated, high-specialized units, um, try to allocate resources according to the competencies. But I would say the main point is keep people away from the hospital if they don't need to go there. Um, wow, Enrico, I, I, that sounds, that's harrowing. I mean, that's just... You know, I think we're headed there too, right? So we're headed to something similar to what's going on in Geneva. So it's uh, it's it's really been instructive to have you on here on the podcast, Mike. I um, I'm very sad as well. I would I should say what's going on in Italy. You know, I'm Italian and uh, I'm very sad for my country. And but I also looking at the the numbers, and you have a huge population in US. So you have probably the chance that having the experience of Europe and China before in order to try to limit these, uh, this catastrophe. 
thing who is, who is changing our lives and you know I, I miss my friends I miss my colleagues I'm, I'm in contact with the chief of units on neurosurgical units north of Italy and um, honestly they are writing to me or telling stories which are incredible and I would never would expect in my life to be um, exposed to something like that. Um, well, we'll have to have you back on to give us uh, another update on what's happening there and please be safe and thank you for all that you've been doing for the Swiss and the European population. Sorry, say again, I didn't get you. No, thank you for everything you've done for the Swiss people and the European okay. population. We'll have to have you back on. Um, I thank you, you for, I mean, I, I also miss Mike. I'm very happy to come to Miami as soon as possible. We still need to to have lobster and shoot together, Mike. And, okay, uh, we'll have you back, okay? <laughs> All right. Yes, I, I, I hope that I can come you, uh, to you very soon and... I mean, good luck and God bless you all.